Buck bid fair to follow in the way of his father. He was not so large, he weighed only one hundred and forty pounds, for his mother, Shep, had been a Scotch shepherd-dog. Nevertheless, one hundred and forty pounds, to which was added the dignity that comes of good living and universal respect, enabled him to carry himself in right royal fashion. During the four years since his puppyhood he had lived the life of a sated aristocrat. He had a fine pride in himself, was even a trifle egotistical, as country gentlemen sometimes become because of their insular situation. But he had saved himself by not becoming a mere pampered house-dog. Hunting and kindred outdoor delights had kept down the fat and hardened his muscles, and to him, as to the cold tubbing races, the love of water had been a tonic and a health-preserver. And this was the manner of dog Buck was in the fall of 1897, when the Klondike strike dragged men from all the world into the frozen north. But Buck did not read the newspapers, and he did not know that Manuel, one of the gardener's helpers, was an undesirable acquaintance. Manuel had one besetting sin. He loved to play Chinese lottery. Also, in his gambling, he had one besetting weakness— faith in a system, and this made his damnation certain. For to play a system requires money, while the wages of a gardener's helper do not lap over the needs of a wife and numerous progeny. The judge was at a meeting of the Raisin Growers Association, and the boys were busy organizing an athletic club on the memorable night of Manuel's treachery. No one saw him and Buck go off through the orchard on what Buck imagined was merely a stroll and with the exception of a solitary man, no one saw them arrive at the little flag-station known as College Park. This man talked with Manuel, and money chinked between them. "'You might wrap up the goods before you deliver them, the stranger said gruffly, and Manuel doubled a piece of stout rope around Buck's neck under the collar. "'Twist it, and you'll choke him plenty,' said Manuel, and the stranger grunted a ready affirmative. Buck had accepted the rope with quiet dignity. To be sure, it was an unwanted performance, but he had learned to trust in men he knew, and to give them credit for a wisdom that outreached his own. But when the ends of the rope were placed in the stranger's hands, he growled menacingly. He had merely intimated his displeasure, in his pride believing that to intimate was to command. But to his surprise the rope tightened around his neck, shutting off his breath. In quick rage he sprang at the man, who met him halfway, grappled him close by the throat, and with a deft twist threw him over on his back. Then the rope tightened mercilessly, while Buck struggled in a fury, his tongue lolling out of his mouth and his great chest panting futilely. Never in all his life had he been so vilely treated, and never in all his life had he been so angry. But his strength ebbed, his eyes glazed and he knew nothing when the train was flagged and the two men threw him into the baggage-car. The next he knew, he was dimly aware that his tongue was hurting and that he was being jolted along in some kind of a conveyance. The hoarse shriek of a locomotive whistling a crossling told him where he was. He had travelled too often with the judge not to know the sensation of riding in a baggage-car. He opened his eyes, and into them came the unbridled anger of a kidnapped king— the man sprang for his throat, but Buck was too quick for him. His jaws closed on the hand, 
nor did they relax till his senses were choked out of him once more. "'Yep, has fits,' the man said, hiding his mangled hand from the baggage-man, who had been attracted by the sounds of struggle. "'I'm taking him up for the boss to Frisco. A crack dog-doctor there thinks that he can cure him.' Concerning that night's ride, the man spoke most eloquently for himself, in a little shed back of a saloon on the San Francisco waterfront. "'All I get is fifty for it,' he grumbled, "'and I wouldn't do it over for a thousand cold cash.' His hand was wrapped in a bloody handkerchief, and the right trouser-leg was ripped from knee to ankle. "'How much did the other mug get?' the saloon-keeper demanded. "'A hundred was the reply. Wouldn't take a sou less, so help me. That makes a hundred and fifty, the saloon-keeper calculated.